Welcome to Genesee Valley Church, where we are loving God, loving people, and loving life. This is the year 2022, and this is the year that you are going to bring change into your life. We are praying and believing that this year helps you develop a heart of God for yourself, for your home, and for your family. We know that you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Let us help you answer your call and make this your year. pursue God passionately. This is the year that my marriage gets on fire. This is the year that my home finds harmony. This is the year that I experience financial stability. This is the year that I fulfill the plan of God for my life. Maybe this is the year that I'm going to answer the call. into this message this morning. We've uh, started a couple weeks ago. My wife did an amazing job last week. Uh, Mother's Day. Woo! Come on. Always love having her come up and minister. She always makes me look good or look bad, one of the two, depending on how good she preaches. Then it makes me look bad. And I, well, you're just good all the way around. So anyways, thanks for doing that. You did an amazing job. But we're going to get back into our series this morning called Factory Reset. Amen. We again, using the example that the factory reset is going back to the original design of something, the way that it was made to, uh, uh, to, to be uh, operated by. And again, in the simplicity of it, that's when it works its best. How many of you know that God desires us to work our best in the manner of how he made us? Absolutely. And so if we learn how to do that and uh, eliminate all the clutter, we would purpose to live a life of faith more successfully than otherwise being distracted, right? So as I get into my message, I want to present something to you or just kind of share a little bit of a story with you this, of this past week. Um, I had the opportunity to go fishing uh, before I came into the office. You know, I like getting up early. I'll get out on the water just as the sun's coming up, and then I'll come into the office. And this particular day, I went out and didn't catch nothing, but just had a, a good time kind of figuring out some things on the boat and on the radar or the fish finder thing, just kind of experimenting with some stuff. But then I came up to the dock. It was about 9 o'clock, got the boat, <clears throat> excuse me, loaded up. And there was a man a couple uh, docks over. And this, all of a sudden, I heard him start yelling. And, I mean, he just was, was cursing and cussing to the top of his lungs. I mean, and he wasn't just cursing little words. I mean, he was letting some bombs fly. You know what I mean? And, again, we'll just call it what it is. It, is, it was letting some bombs fly. And I, I got the boat loaded up, and I uh, hollered over to him. I said, hey, you need a hand. And he didn't say nothing to me, but just kept on swearing and cussing and just throwing a fit over there. So I thought, man, this guy's really having a rough time of it, you know. So I got the boat loaded up. I pulled up to the top so I was out of the way. And then I went back down and just was seeing if I could give him a hand. Well, when I got down there, his boat had come off the back of his trailer. Half the boat was in the water. The nose of the boat was on the trailer, but the back end of the boat was completely filled with water. And so he's trying to get the boat back up on the trailer with the boat crank, but the boat is so heavy that he can't get it cranked up on the, 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 the trailer. 
To make matters worse, his motors, his trolling motors off the back end, and because of the weight of the water holding it down, it jammed the trolling motor down into the, the sand of the, the boat launch area, the bottom of the water. So he's just in a pickle. So he finally gets it all unplugged, the motors off the back end, and, and we're still trying to get it on the trailer, but it's just too heavy. And so he says to me, he says, I'll tell you what, he says, I'm going to just take the truck, I'm going to back it up, and as I back it up, maybe it will push it up onto the trailer. I said, okay, you do that, I'll crank the crank, and maybe we can get it up there together. So he starts to back up, sure enough, the boat starts coming up onto the trailer, I'm cranking it, trying to get it to go with it, gets about three quarters of the way on the trailer, the trailer pops off the truck, comes off the truck hitch, and I'm like, oh dear God, what do we do, you know, and I'm like, hey, and so long story short, we got the boat back onto the trailer, got him fixed up, got him on his way, and he says to me, he says, do you have a Boat plug for your, or an extra boat plug in your, your uh, collection there? I said, no, I don't. Well, see, what had happened is the reason that his boat filled up with water is because there's a plug that keeps the water out of your boat. And if you were to get any water in there, when you get your boat on the trailer, you can take the plug out and let everything drain out. Well, he didn't realize that he didn't have the boat plug out of the boat, so when he put the boat in the water, it started to fill up. And so, as I'm looking at this guy in all the different scenarios that he's dealing with that is causing his morning to be such an ordeal, I'm starting to realize that this guy's problems is a result of not paying attention to details. How many of you know that details are important? And so, as our walk with God, it is important to pay attention to the details. If we'll overlook details in our walk with God, oftentimes we'll find ourselves in a world of hurt because details matter. Well, so now, as I'm observing this guy, now please hear this the right way. I'm not saying this to be critical, but obviously you can understand what I'm getting ready to say to you. But as I begin to observe this man's boat and just the condition of it, the condition of all of his equipment, as I look at his truck and the condition of his truck and all the clutter in the back of the truck and as I'm observing this man and seeing the way he looks and the way he's conducting himself I've come to the conclusion very easily that this man does not live a life of details do you know what I'm saying I'm not being critical or being judgmental I'm saying by observing this man's actions his conduct and his words he is not a man of details. And as I'm watching him, I'm thinking, I bet this kind of thing happens to you all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, as a believer, as I said, the details matter. And so unfortunately, because the details matter, many times you and I can observe people that are good-hearted people and are Christian people and love God, but because they don't pay attention to some details, their Christian life can kind of be messy. And you can just uh, uh, basically come to an expectation, this is what they deal with on a regular basis. Do you know what I'm saying? Because details matter. It's important that we pay attention to the details. And so if you realize it or realize how God made us, God has designed us to be people that live by the word of God. 
It is a detail that we cannot get away from. We must be people that live by and according to the Word of God. And as we said, that if we'll understand how God designed us, that we are to live by the Word, it will be the factory reset button for our life that brings back things to its simplicity of working the best because that's the way God designed it. I said God has made us to live by the Word of God. Living a life of faith requires, an, uh, 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 requires attention to detail. Can you say it with me? Say, details matter. I'm so thankful for parents that raise up their children in church consistently having their children in church where the Word of God is a, a part of their life on a consistent basis where children, young men and women grow up knowing that the Word of God is the standard of how we live a life of faith walking with Jesus. And therefore, when they have obstacles that come down the road, they understand that, you know, we live by faith and we live by the Word of God. How many of you know that as you get older in life, it's a whole lot harder to learn new things? I mean, if you're trying to ever play the guitar at the age of 45, it's not real easy. I would have rather have learned how to play the guitar when I was a young kid, right? So even when it comes to the things of faith, if we've grown up with a mentality and a lifestyle where the Word of God is just part of our lifestyle, it becomes the factory reset when we face obstacles. What does the Word say? But as we become older, it becomes a little bit more difficult to acclimate our lives to the Word because we've got set in some patterns and some thinking and some ways that we live our life. And sometimes it's a little bit more challenging, right? For that matter, again, we've got people in our church from all different backgrounds of faith, from different denominational backgrounds. And one of the things that we've always noticed, and this is just part of our church, it's just part of the culture, and so we just know that it's the way it is, but you know that there's people that come from different backgrounds that when they get here, they say, you know what? We didn't learn it that way. We didn't do it that way. Well, we were taught that that stuff wasn't for today. We don't believe or we weren't taught that miracles are something that we can believe God for. We didn't believe or we weren't taught about that whole speaking in the, the, the prayer language thing. We weren't taught about that. And so based on what we've been taught all of our life, we come into a setting where we're being taught something contrary. We're like, I don't know about it. I'm struggling with that. Why? Because sometimes it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks, right? You know what I'm saying? And so thank God we've got young people that are growing and living by the Word of God. If you understand me as a pastor, you know that my heart is to help try to teach people the details, the details of the Word of God. I said to you before when we first started this series, I'm not a pastor that tries to give you a rah-rah message to try to motivate you and encourage you to make you feel good as you leave this place. My heart as a pastor is to teach you the details of the Word so that you leave here living a life of faith according to the Word. Amen? And so my heart is to teach you the details of the Word. Why? Because God is a legalistic God. Now, you might say a legalistic God. Well, I always thought you said God wasn't legalistic. Not in the manner of what many times people think. Not, well, God says you can't do this and you can't do that, and certainly you can't have no fun. You know, that's just what church is all about. It's legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say that God is a legalistic God, I'm saying that God is bound to His Word. God is bound to the words that are in this book. If it says it, it settles it. 
If it says that this is the heart of God, I don't have to fight for it. It belongs to me as a child of God. Amen? And so therefore, if God is bound to His Word, that means that I have the opportunity to live a life of faith according to the Word of God. It becomes the factory reset. What does the Word say? Amen? Let me give you a couple verses just to kind of help uh, draw a parallel to the importance of the Word. Look at what God says in Psalms 107 verse 20. It says, He sent His Word and healed our diseases. What healed our diseases? The Word. Psalms 138 verse 2. He exalts His Word above His name. Psalms 119 verse 89. His Word is forever settled in heaven. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So shall my Word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The Word of God is what God moves and lives by and interacts with you by. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If we're going to increase and grow in our walk of faith, it's got to be according to the Word of God. And so this brings us to what we've been talking about in this series called Factory Reset. I can't get away from the first two chapters of the book of John. If you recall, we said this in regards to John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, in the beginning... Factory reset. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say, and He was with God from the beginning. So, it's referring to the Word of God, but it's also referring to us that Jesus is the Word. If you want to get to know the Word, or excuse me, if you want to get to know Jesus, get to know the Word. And you'll find that in times of trouble or in times of need or in times where it requires faith, you'll find that when you have conversations with Jesus, it's his word that comes back up as an answer on the inside. Oh, I see that. Oh, that makes sense, God. I never saw it that way before. Why? Because revelation starts to come of the word of God. Amen? All right. So in regards to the Word of God, we say that the Word produces a factory reset moment for us that whenever we're facing difficulties, whenever we're going through things, when life seems to be so overwhelming and cluttered, how do we go back to the beginning of where it was first designed of simplicity without all the noise? And it comes back down to what does the Word say? What does the Word say? If you recall, we again uh, started to make mention of this the last time that we were together. And we looked at John chapter 2. You saw the story of the woman, or excuse me, uh, the the wedding feast. And it says this was the beginning of signs of Jesus' ministry. And if you recall, the Bible says that Mary, mother's Jesus, came to him and says, We're out of wine. Do something about this. Now, once again, it is a shindig, it is a party, it is something that you don't want to run out of supplies, you don't want to run out of beverage, you don't want to run out of food, and she turns to Jesus and she says, do something about this. And then she turns to the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. So let's put a different spin on this context of Scripture. When Mary come to a place of not having an answer, when there was a deficiency, when there was a problem, what did Mary do? 
Did she turn to her son? No, when there was a problem, when there was a deficiency, she turned to the Word. Because Jesus is the Word. Amen? Say it with me. Say, she turned to the Word. When there was a problem, she turned to the Word. And then she turns to the servants and says, whatever He says, do it. Or other words, you could say it this way. The Word will fix it. There's a problem. There's a deficiency. Something's going on. It shouldn't be this way. The Word will fix it. Come on, somebody. If there's something going on in your life, if there's something that you need an answer for, if there's something that's just not right, the Word will fix it because it's the way that God designed us was to live by the Word. It becomes the factory reset moment of our life when everything seems so busy and cluttered and distracted and noisy and I'm struggling and making sense of everything. How do I come back to the basics of my original design? What does the Word say? Because the Word will fix it if I listen and do what the Word says. Can somebody say amen? Now, I said to you that the details matter. The details are extremely important when it comes to the Word. Now, once again, going back to the first chapter of what we were looking at, if you recall, the Bible says that John the Baptist was preaching about Jesus. He was preaching the Word. And then finally, one day after preaching the Word, the light came, revelation came, and they saw Jesus for who He was. And then Philip goes to Nathaniel. And says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found him. We have found Jesus. We have found the Word. Now, the fact that he's going to Nathaniel and saying, We found him, leads us to believe that Nathaniel probably was a disciple of John the Baptist. So, in other words, John the Baptist, or excuse me, Nathaniel probably heard the message that John the Baptist was preaching. He had the opportunity to have heard about the word, but when Philip comes to him and says, we have found him, he's in Nazareth, Nathaniel says to Philip, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Now, Nathaniel heard about the word. Philip told him, we have found him, but life experiences... Things that he has heard and saw. The experience that he's already had in Nazareth. Based on what he's seen and heard and experienced. His response was not one of faith. But one responding to his experience. And he says, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? What is it that challenges the word in your own life? It's your surroundings. It's your circumstances. It's your life experiences. It's all well and good when everything is hunky-dory and you're saying, oh, yes, I've heard the word. I've heard that just about six months ago. That was a good message. But now the storms of life come. They come knocking on your door. Now it comes down to where the rubber's meeting the road. And when you're faced with the adversities and the circumstances of life, what will your response be? Will it be the word can fix it? Or will it be, well, is there anything that can come good of this situation? Amen. 
How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? Because all of us have went through challenges of life where it challenges our faith. And our faith can only come by the Word of God. So therefore, what it's doing is it's challenging the Word that you know. Amen. I was just with, uh, my wife and I was with our pastors just a couple weeks ago. Actually, last week, I believe it was. And she was telling us about a woman that is in her church. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And this is a woman that is extremely devout, been very disciplined, very faithful to the ministry and to, to the pastors of the church. But when she got the news that it's cancer and you need to have surgery, and it's not just isolated, <clears throat> excuse me, it's throughout your body. It shook her. It moved her. Well, it would move any of us. Just because you know the word or you have a heart and a foundation on the word of God, when the storms of life come, they will move you at the first hearing of the news. Does that not make sense? I mean, when, when, when you hear about a storm or a tornado that's coming down the, down the road, do you just say, oh, well, praise the Lord, it won't come and mess with me. Well, I'm going to do my praying and I'm going to do, hey, Mr. Tornado, you're not going to affect my house, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go down in the basement. I'm not going to sit up there and say, well, I'm just going to be stupid. No, I'm going to do the natural thing. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to exercise my faith from downstairs. And you might say, well, then does that mean that you're not in faith? No, I'm just using common sense with spiritual sense. Does that make sense? So don't think that when you hear bad news that it don't have the opportunity to rock you. It doesn't mean that you're weak in your faith. It just means that you're human. But what do you do beyond the initial rocking back on your heels because you heard the bad news? The word will fix it. But the details matter. Say it with me. The details matter. Amen. So once again... Nathan had an opportunity to respond either from a position of faith or from a, his circumstance. This is the opportunity that all of us have and we will face. Will we reason it out in our minds or will we respond in faith to the word? And once again, this is where the battle starts to happen. This is where the factory reset moment begins to bring things to a simple place of faith. Because when you hear the bad news or you uh, uh, face circumstances of life, you will begin to have, have to face the battle of the mind. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you get the bad report, what happens? The thoughts start going. What about and what if? How come? Right? So we have to respond like we were created. I have to pay attention to the details. Your thought life or the details of your thought life will determine what you see. Let me say that again. Your thought life or the details of your thought life will determine what you see. Once again, I've used this illustration before, but we're living in a, in a time where things are turbulent. Things are just kind of... Well, just one day they're this way, and the next day they're the next. And, you know, you go to the gas pump, and you have an opportunity to, to really just get up in your head. Right? 
It's like, I mean, it costs you a hundred bucks to fill up a gas tank. I mean, that has an opportunity to get up in your head and thinking, dear God, that's a lot of money to fill the gas tank up. But I already heard it in here just a minute ago. But when I see the gas pump coming up to $80, $90, $100, you know what my response is? Jesus is Lord. I don't sit there and say, oh, dear God, $100? Huh. Yes, the kids ain't going to be able to eat lunch at school this week. Yes, the wife's going to have to let the roots grow out. <laughs> She's gone, so I, I can say that. <laughs> Come on, you hear what I'm saying? No, I don't respond by saying, oh, dear God. What are we going to do? I respond with the word, Jesus is Lord. Amen. And so whatever we face, whatever storm of life, whatever thing comes against us, we respond to the word of God or we'll respond to the thoughts that come and try to beat us down and get us out of a position of faith. So what are we going to do? We're going to pay attention to the details. Amen. When it comes to me as a pastor, when it comes to you being in church, what's church for? If you recall, the Bible says over in Ephesians chapter 11, the Bible says that God has given gifts unto men, some apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. So you could say it this way. God gave you a gift. He gave you a button. He gave you a reset moment that every time you come to church, the pastor or the minister helps to stir your faith to have a factory reset moment where you'll live like God created you to live and be a person that lives and walks and abides by the Word of God. But notice what it says. It says that he's given these gifts a pastor that will help mature you. How many of you realize that when it comes to your walk with God, it takes maturity? Now, let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a behind-the-curtain thing, if you will. In order for you to mature means that you're going to have to grab a hold of things that you haven't been so inclined to grab hold of. You know, there have been people that have come to church and said, that's not my kind of church. I didn't realize you were that kind of church. And they never come back again. When all the while God was setting you up for victory, divinely ordering your steps to a church that would help take you over to the next place of faith and victory. But because you got hung up with something that was said or something that was preached or dear God, they talk about money in the church. Oh, come on, I'm going somewhere else. Well, why? Because you don't have to be accountable. Right? So therefore, if you're going to mature and grow in faith, you're going to have to grow beyond what you already know. That means that it might offend you, upset your religion or your tradition from time to time because God needs you to get beyond where you've already been. Amen. I remember one family came into our church. This was, oh man, 10, 12 years ago. She came into church with her husband. They're like, we love this church. And, and she came and met us at the office one day during the middle of the week. And she says, I want to tell you something. And she says, I want to thank you for you doing church the way that you do church. She said, my husband was never in church, never grew up in church. She said, I was a missionary kid. She said, my parents have always been overseas in mission fields. And she goes, that's how I grew up. She said, but my husband never knew anything about God. She said, he came here to this church and got saved. And once he came to this church and got saved, received Jesus, he went out and bought a Bible. 
Just bought it just yesterday, and he was so excited. He didn't want just any Bible. He wanted a Bible that just was one that he could connect with and that that would be his Bible. She said, with tears running down her face, thank you for being a church that connected with my husband. That was the last time that I saw her because she found out that our church was not the kind of church that she grew up in, and therefore that was a deal breaker. But God had a divine moment where her husband got saved. He connected with a church and a people where he was growing in God. But because of my hang-up of tradition and religion, it kept her husband from advancing forward in God. Amen. So what am I talking about? If God's going to grow you, mature you, it might challenge you to be stretched just a little bit. Amen. And not only that, it says that he'll mature you to do the works of the ministry. Now, we could talk further on that, but let me just say it this way or spin it this way. As you mature, you will learn to work the word. I said, as you grow and mature in your faith, you will learn how to work the word as a tool for combat when the enemy comes against you. You'll be able to use the word and work the word to say, God, your word says it. Therefore, it settles that I receive the promises of God because it says all your promises are yes and amen. So it belongs to me. Amen. And then it goes on to say, not only will you mature, not only will you work the word. It says, but then you'll edify the body of Christ. In other words, you'll begin to be, be, be people that develop and help and grow other people just by your lifestyle. You'll see people that are struggling in their faith. Hey, let me come alongside you and help you because I was once where you were. I want to help you. Amen. So that's our heart as a, as a church to help you. But once again, the Lord said this to me just recently. He, in fact, said this to me this last Wednesday in church prayer. He said this. It's possible, <clears throat> it's possible to grow in the knowledge of the word and not grow in faith. God said to me, it's possible to grow in your knowledge of the word but not grow in faith. So what's the difference? The Bible says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So if you're going to be a person that's growing in faith, once you hear the word, faith always has corresponding actions. I said faith has corresponding actions. So if you hear the word, but you don't do nothing, you're not growing in faith. You're just hearing the word. It will change your behavior. The word will change your thinking or your thought patterns. The details matter. Come on, say it with me. The details matter. The details, matter. The details are necessary for us to go grow because, again, corresponding actions are a result of my growing and trusting God. I must, how do I, <clears throat> excuse me, what do the corresponding actions look like? I have to hear the word and accept what I hear as truth and then act upon what I've heard. Now, how many of you would agree and say, I believe the word? How many of you would say, the word of God is true? How many of you would say that the word of God is established for my faith and to help me grow and to uh, cause my life to be a success and have victory in every area of my life? And you would say, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. I believe the word of God. Therefore, I want to be a doer of the word. But then as a pastor, we say, hey, listen, God set up a plan. Be a tither and a giver. And when you do that, God will bless you immensely. And it gets crickets in the church. Oh, you're talking about money. You're trying to get money out of my pocket. No, I'm trying to get blessing into your life. 
And all you hear is about money, 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 money. And therefore you, go, you don't hear the word. And therefore you can't accept the word as truth. And you won't act upon it. And therefore you go through the merry-go-round of life and saying, How come I'm going through all this difficulty? How come God's not blessing me? How come my prayers aren't being answered? How come we're not coming out of debt? How come it seems like we're going, going behind and so on and so forth? And this isn't certainly a message about tithing, but it's a good opportunity to present it because that is one of those areas that most people struggle with. But it's the Word of God. And you just got done saying, I believe the Word, I believe the Word, I believe the Word. Do you now? Woohoo! Pull the toes back. Just put the toes underneath the seat and I won't step out of it. <laughs> Come on, are you hearing my heart? Because once again, we're selective when it comes to the Word. But if we truly want to experience the blessing of God's Word, we have to first hear it, but accept it as truth, and then act upon the Word. When we looked at Nathaniel, what did Nathaniel do? He responded from the natural and says, well, is there anything, that's that good, anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Did he stay there? Do we struggle sometimes with natural things of life when we're trying to live by the Word of God? Absolutely, it's to be human. But the next thing that we see is that Nathaniel must have let what Philip said get into his heart because the next thing that we see is that Nathaniel is where Jesus is. So he must have said, okay, I'm going to come check this out. I'm going to accept what I hear is truth, and I'm going to act on the word that you shared with me. Amen? So we have to act on the word as well. Now, once again, when you look at Mary, Mary says, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. And here you got these servants that says, he just told us to put water in pots. Now, we're supposed to take wine to the feast. But he just told us to put water in these pots. But they did it. What was the result? The master of the feast says, man, you've saved the best for last. Most people give the best at first and then give the lesser. But you've given the best for the last. Did you see that when you act upon the word of God, the word of God will fix it, but God doesn't give you a fix with a Band-Aid on it. He don't give you a broke down, barely get down the road, but it will get you through. He gives you the best because that's what God does. Amen. And once again, you've got to begin to learn to see God in that light because we have been told so often that God just wants you to suffer for the sake of your faith. Well, come on. How many of you know that I can live well and trust God and, and, and be blessed and still have a confidence and faith in God? Amen. Amen. You know, if my mom and dad said to me, you know what? We're going to make you go barefooted. We're going to give you one pair of underwear for the whole year. And, uh, you know, you're going to eat just Cheerios in the morning. And that's about it. Well, I, you know, I might get to the end of my life and say, you know, I'm not real appreciative of that. Well, we're just trying to teach you some things, trying to teach you that, you know, it's, it's not easy out there. How many of you know I can love them and learn a whole lot just as well as living a good life, having fresh underwear, <laughs> having a three-course meal, and still be, be taught responsibilities, right? We've got this mentality that, well, we got to suffer to learn some things. God doesn't do that to you. He'll grow your faith through the process, but God always brings you out on the other side. 
The details matter. Amen. Now, with that being said, concerning a factory reset, I said to you that it's, it's important to identify our thoughts. We're going to conclude with this line of thinking and we'll pick it up next week. But your thought life is so important. We showed you or we brought to light concerning Nathaniel that what caused him to waver was his thoughts of his experience, his surroundings, and just life choices. But did you ever notice that life has a way of training your thinking? That's why I admonish the parents that have their children in church faithfully because you're training their thinking versus letting them get older and say, well, you know what? We took you to church occasionally. Now you do the best you can from here on out. Well, their thinking and their, their thoughts have already been trained. But have you ever noticed that your thoughts have to be dealt with? They don't get better just by themselves. For instance, let's, let me give you a couple of things. Remember how I said to you, you can identify people's lives where they don't live a life of detail based on their conduct? One of the things that I said to you concerning that man was the first experience was the cursing and the hollering and the bleep, 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 right? It was a telltale sign of where he was as an individual. All right? So, for instance, let me give you a couple things that are details that kind of let you know where people are at. We all know these individuals, and I'm not painting a picture so that you can start identifying people. Don't do that, because then again, it puts you in a bad spot. Just shake your head and say, yeah, we sure do, though. All right. But you know people that are just gossipers, right? They like to gossip. They like to tell you what's going on. Well, in order for somebody to be a gossiper, what do you have to do? You have to replay thoughts and rehearse thoughts to communicate, right? And therefore, gossip is never edifying. Well, therefore, if you see a person that's a gossiper and a good gossiper, they don't have a life that's governed by details. You ever notice somebody that holds a grudge? You get to talking to them about somebody, and they're, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you, this is what they did to me. Yeah, I remember I told you that before, but I'm going to tell you again what they did to me. This is what they did to me. And it was 15 years ago. Well, so in order for you to hold a grudge, the only way that you can hold a grudge is for your mind and your thoughts to rehearse and to hold on to the past. Do you see how your thoughts govern your present and your future? The only way that you can be a person of holding a grudge is by not controlling your thoughts of what has once happened. Once again, if you see somebody that holds grudges and are bitter and resentful, they don't live a life of details concerning their faith walk. Again, this isn't being critical. I'm just presenting some things to you. Have you ever noticed somebody that tends to be a nagger or a complainer? Well, why do they nag and why do they complain? Because once again, they're rehearsing the thoughts of what woulda, coulda, shoulda been done. And did you ever notice the person that is the, the nagger or the complainer? They never get better. They don't just one day say, like, man, you used to be such a nag, but man, you've just gotten so nice and so friendly. No, it does not get better. It always gets worse. Well, why does it get worse? 
Because when you're a nagger and a complainer, you have to rehearse the thoughts in your head of something that irritates you. And if you don't address it and bring it to subjection to the Word of God, your nature is to only get worse. In fact, I've seen some of you men. I've seen some of you around your wives and they start talking and you're just like, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> They've gotten so good at nagging, you don't even, re you don't reply anymore. You're just like, yep, uh-huh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Come on, are you relating to what I'm saying? If you're, if you're a nagger or you know people that are naggers and complainers, it does not get better. It only gets worse. Why? Because thoughts are not controlled, and therefore, there's not a lifestyle of discipline, and therefore, your life of faith is in jeopardy. Once again, if you've seen somebody or know somebody that has a critical eye, why are they critical in their eye? Because they're always pointing out something that is wrong. Isn't it always easy to point something wrong out in somebody else's life? And it just, isn't it just a blessing when you do something and you show somebody and then they say this to you? Well, you know what you should have done. Woo, come on, man. You talk about hair standing up on the back of your neck, man. <laughs> I like to just punch you in the mouth. <laughs> I didn't ask you for your opinion what I should have done. I was just trying to show you. But you come in here being critical and telling me what you should have done. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Have you ever noticed there's those people that it's always somebody else's fault? It's not my fault. It's their fault. You should have saw what they did. Have you ever noticed those people, there's those individuals that always make mountains out of molehills? It wasn't a big deal, but boy, by the time they got done with it, man, it was big. I mean, it was catastrophe. Well, why? Because they're not in control of their thought life. And therefore, if you're not in control of your thought life, you're not in control of your faith life. You ever notice those people that the cup is always half empty? Once again, you run into those optimistic people that they're so optimistic, it just makes you want to throw up. It's like, just shut up, man. But then you run into those other people that it's always just half empty. Well, you know, I guess it's half empty, but you know, it's just about ready to be half, half empty again, and then we'll have nothing. Have you ever ran into those people that they tell you the sad story of their circumstances? And the reason that they're trying to tell you the sad story is because they're trying to manipulate your emotions. They try to manipulate your emotions so that maybe you'll feel sorry for them. Maybe you'll do something for them. Maybe you'll give them a handout. Maybe you'll give them some money. Have you ever ran into those people? They live their life manipulating others. The reason that they don't live by faith is because they live in a place of victimization and thinking somebody else should be taking care of them rather than them trusting God for themselves. Amen? Have you ever ran into those people that are always living in crisis? I mean, it's always 911. Did you hear 911? Call it, baby. <laughs> always living in crisis. Have you ever been around those people that are just heavy and serious? I mean, if they, they cracked a smile, man, it would crack their face. Just heavy and serious. Have you ever ran into those people that are fearful and full of anxiety and stressed and worried and depressed? And, you know, they got the, 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 the backup bottle of Prozac in the cabinet just because it might be a bad day. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Once again, why is it constantly a life of fear and anxiety and stress and worry and depression? It's because my thoughts are out of control and I've not learned to live a life of discipline living by the Word of God. Have you ever seen somebody that is so money conscious, so money conscious that I can't do nothing because, dear God, I've got a million dollars in the bank but just never know what tomorrow might hold? You know what I mean? They, they have poverty thinking. They live well, make money, but man, they're just a life full of poverty because of their thoughts. Or people that live a life of poverty because they're just in debt. Credit cards through the wazoo, maxed out, just living stressed out. Well, why do you live in a place of debt or being subject to a debtor? It's because your thought lives have got away from you, and therefore you thought you needed something that you really didn't need, and therefore you're in a place of trouble, right? Rather than trusting God. Isn't it interesting that people would rather spend 25% interest rates and just paying, paying the minimal on their credit card for the next 20 years, but when it comes to tithing and trusting God, oh dear God, I can't do that. But did you realize that you paid your tithe hand over fist over years, and you could have trusted God to get out of debt, but yet you wanted to rob God, but I'll pay the interest rate. Woo! Praise the Lord. <laughs> and the last one, have you ever ran into those people that are just money, or excuse me, sickness conscious? Oh, dear God, I think I've got it. <laughs> What do you got? I don't know, but I think I got it. <laughs> What's that new thing that's out? I think I got it. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about? You get around people and they just, they're sickness conscious. Oh, I got, a, I got a scratchy throat. Oh, dear God, I got a headache. Oh, dear God, I got a hangnail. I think I got to go take a nap. <laughs> right? You just know Why? Because your mind is untrained and you've not lived a life subject to the Word of God. And God is saying, have a factory reset moment where you come to the basics of life. This is how I made you. Live by the Word because the Word will fix it. Glory. Amen. Now let me take away the disclaimer. The Word doesn't fix it immediately. It's not a quick fix, get you out of jail kind of thing. It's a trust God day to day. Amen? Let me finish with this. Why don't you all stand? I know I ran late. They're ready to run the queue already. This is going to lead me into what I'm going to share with you next week. I said that your thought lives are so important when it comes to you living a life of faith. Mary said, when there's a deficiency, the Word will fix it. When there's a problem, do what the Word says because the Word will fix it. We said that Jesus was the Word. And if you recall the story of Jesus when He was with His disciples in Mark 11, I believe it's in chapter 14, or chapter 11, verse 14. When Jesus said, I see a fig tree, let's go to the fig tree and let's get something to eat. Because they were all hungry. When they got to the fig tree, there was no fig trees. And the Bible says that Jesus answered the fig tree. How do you exercise your faith when you face difficulties? When your thoughts want to run crazy. 
when your thoughts want to uh, point out the deficiency. You run to the Word of God, but you answer the deficiency. Let me say it again. Jesus, the Word, when the fig tree did not produce what it needed to, Jesus answered the fig tree. We've got to come to a place where we learn to answer the, the, the challenges of life and answer it with the Word. So now, not only your thought life has to be in place, your words have to come in line. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that the Word works. I thank you, Father, that this year we're breaking barriers and we're coming into a place where we are people of the Word. I thank you that we're getting outside of our tradition and religion. I thank you that you're expanding our hearts and our understanding. That we're walking in a greater place of grace. We're walking in a greater place of, of understanding. And so God, I thank you that the word does fix it. And we will live a life of victory. In Jesus' name. And we all said. That's it. Is this the year where you're going to see some change? Is this the year where you'll see restoration in your family? Or is this the year where you're going to allow God to move in your life? We would love the opportunity to help you in that. If you would like more info or if you have any questions, we want to hear from you. You can contact us on our social media sites or directly through our website at gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church. Loving God, loving people, loving life.